Welcome to our mindfulness podcast. Each week or so, we will have a different podcast, different speakers, different chants, different Dharma talks. But mindfulness practice in Buddhism helps us focus and helps us be aware. And this program will consist of many different ways of meditating. We usually begin with bowing or gasho, then we prepare to sit, and we will sit for approximately 10 minutes. And then we will either stand and walk for another five minutes to kind of get blood into our legs again and and, uh, relax our muscles. And then we'll sit for another 10 approximately. And then we will chant, which is another form of meditation. Uh, We focus on the characters and we pronounce the sounds as a group. And it's a kind of a ritual of oneness. And then after that, we'll have a short Dharma talk of about five to 10 minutes. And then we'll close with Gasho. And this also includes offering incense. We offer incense, but you could also light the incense before the service starts. And this is kind of the program uh, of how our meditation services proceed. And so we will be getting underway today uh, with our program. Thank you very much. We will begin with sitting meditation. Find yourself a comfortable place to sit, either in a chair or on the floor. On the floor, you may prefer to sit on a cushion with your legs crossed or folded beneath you. On a chair, sit without leaning back with your feet planted evenly and comfortably on the floor. Sit comfortably erect with shoulders back and your spine straight. Rock back and forth and then side to side to find your center. Your head should also be straight with your eyelids lowered but not closed. Focus on a point a few feet in front of you. Your face should be relaxed as you breathe quietly. Hands can be placed in several positions. In the classic mode, rest your left hand in your right hand, with thumbs touching and comfortably laid against your abdomen. Or you can touch thumbs and forefingers together and rest them on your thighs with palms up. Another option may be to fold your hands on top of each other on your lap. The key is to find a position that is comfortable and that can be maintained in stillness during the meditation session. While sitting, try focusing on your breath, counting them to 10. Breathe in, one. Breathe out, two. Breathe in, three, and so forth. You may find distractions such as the sounds around you or your own thoughts. If that happens, observe them, acknowledge them, and then let them go. Begin counting your breaths again from one. We will begin and end each session at the sound of a bell. At the end of this first session, you will be asked to place your hands together in gasho and bow. Gasho means putting your hands together and bowing in an expression of gratitude. You may choose to intone the words Namo Amidabutsu as you gasho. We will begin our first seated meditation session at the sound of the bell.
Please put your hands together in gasho and bow. Namo Amidabutsu, Namo Amidabutsu, Namo Amidabutsu, Namo Amidabutsu, Namo Amidabutsu. Take a moment to stretch your legs, and we will have standing meditation. The feet should be about shoulder width apart, with the knees bent slightly. Upper body position is the same. Back straight and centered, shoulders relaxed. Eyes half open. Standing in this way is a reminder that we can extend this way of being to our life when we're not engaged in meditation per se. We might be having to wait for someone to arrive or wishing some person would help us. They don't seem to be interested in our problem. Instead of becoming upset and agitated, we can have a moment of standing meditation.
Please put your hands together in Gasho. Bow. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namandabutsu. 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 We will begin our second seated meditation. Please be seated. You can resume your former position. Again, back straight, eyes lowered, hands resting comfortably in your lap, legs crossed or sitting in a chair. We will begin at the sound of the bell.
Please put your hands together in gasho and bow. Namo Amida Buts, Namo Amida Buts, Namo Amida Buts, Namo Amida Buts, Namo Amida Buts. We will begin uh, sutra chanting. Sutra chanting is actually a portion of a sutra that we will chant. Uh, most sutras are far too long to be able to chant in one sitting. So for us, uh, we're usually chanting a verse out of a longer narrative or prose. And that's why uh, each line consists of perhaps four or five or seven characters. When we chant, we read from left to right, just like in English, and we move down the first column, and then we move to the second column, and so on. Open circles uh, represent bells uh, for the chant leader to ring. So we always begin a sutra chant with two bells. Whenever we change a section, we use one bell to kind of signal that we're changing uh, from one section to another. And then when you end a sutra chant, you always end with three bells. Each syllable here is written in Romanized characters, English characters, and each syllable here represents a kanji, a Chinese character, and it's written phonetically. It's the sound of the character. The vowels have the same pronunciation independent of location or their neighbor. So this is different from English. And the vowel sounds, uh, I've been told, resemble those in Spanish. So we have A, E, I, O, and U, and they're pronounced A, E, E, O, and U. And then uh, you'll see uh, italicized lines. Uh, those are leader lines that I chant alone. And you will also see underlines under some of the characters. And that means that rather than each character getting a single beat, an underlying character will get a beat and a half. And to kind of make up that little extra time, the next character in line will only get a half beat. And what you do is you don't really concern yourself too much about the meaning of what's being chanted. This isn't flashcards. We're not trying to learn something. This is a ritual. And so we chant together as a feeling of oneness. Don't worry too much about how you're doing. Be aware and mindful of each character. Uh, this is a form of meditation. Uh, rather than silent meditation, we're meditating through sound. So, you know, you see the character, you say it, you forget about it, you move on, and you say the next character. And over time, it becomes effortless, and you'll begin to memorize it uh, without realizing it. All right, we're going to chant uh, Jusege on page 39. Jusege is another poem or verse that can be found in the larger sutra. First, you have the Sambutsuge, then you have the 48 vows by the aspiring student claiming and proclaiming his desire to seek Buddhahood. And then after that, Jusege stands for repeated vows. So three of these 48, he considers to be the essence of his practice, and he repeats these three vows. And again, italicized lines are leader lines, open circles are bells, underlines are a beat and a half, and that means the next kanji character or sound is going to get a, a half beat. And we chant down the first column, reading left to right, and then down the second column, reading left to right. And then as we get about two-thirds of the way down the second column, you'll see that line has all underscores on it. Ko, ku, sho, ten, nin, to, u, chin, myo, ke. So we're slowing down. I've mentioned before that the first two bells means we're beginning a chant. And then that single bell there means that we're changing section. And it's a little bit like a train. You start out chanting slow, you speed up, 
and then you come into the station and slow down. And then we do Namo Amidabatsu, as we do on all of our chanting. And then we end with the Ekoku. Dangon Cho Oh.
Please join me in God's show. Namandats, 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 Namandats. Have you ever felt totally sure about something only to discover that you were completely wrong? A friend once shared an experience with me. He lives in the hills of Glendale, so the risk of wildfire is always in the back of his mind. When he wakes up each morning, he walks into his backyard and scans the horizon to check for any sign of smoke or flames. Early one morning, he looked out and saw big flames and smoke on the hills behind his house. He immediately went into emergency mode, running frantically into the house to wake his wife and tell her they needed to evacuate, rounding up their cats, and trying to remember what essential documents and items he needed to grab. He turned on the TV to see if there were any news reports about the fire and saw nothing. He turned on the radio. Nothing. Finally, desperate for information, he called 911 and said, There's a fire behind my house. The response was, There is a fire, but it's on Mount Wilson. My friend was totally taken aback. Mount Wilson was 60 miles away. He couldn't believe it. He started arguing with the emergency dispatcher, saying, you don't know what you're talking about. I can see the hills behind my house burning. But while standing in his backyard on the phone with 911, he looked more closely at the fire. When he did so, he realized that the flames and smoke were actually beyond the hills near his home. They were on Mount Wilson, but they were so big that at first glance, they looked like they were actually on the hills nearer his house. But in reality, they were far away and he was in no danger. Despite being dead certain that there was a fire nearing his home, he turned out to be wrong and had gone through all that panic and fear for nothing. It is natural for all of us, like my friend, to seek certainty and to hold tight to it, even if it's unpleasant, and even in the face of contrary evidence. I think there are a couple of reasons for this tendency. First, we have a lot of faith in our own ability to perceive reality and to make judgments and take actions based on those perceptions. In fact, it's essential to getting through everyday life. At our jobs, raising our children, watching the news, we constantly have to decide what reality is, accept and believe that as fact, and act accordingly. Without that confidence, we would be overwhelmed with questions, doubt, and uncertainty, and we wouldn't be able to function. Second, as human beings, we want answers. We crave answers. If I decide that something is true, it feels solid and knowable, and that gives me a feeling of security in a world that can seem confusing and chaotic. I know what is true, I am certain of it, and so I know where I stand. Certainty is a way of imposing order on the universe so it makes sense to us. The desire for certainty is particularly strong when it comes to religion. Most people turn to religion specifically because they want definite answers. They seek answers to the big questions of human existence and solutions to the problems of life from a, quote, higher authority, unquote. Questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Why does evil exist in the world? What happens after I die? What is the meaning of life? People seek answers, comfort, and guarantees from religion, 
and almost all religious traditions provide that kind of certainty through specifically stated religious dogma or absolute spiritual authorities, such as a pope. One problem with certainty, religious certainty, or any other kind, is that it makes it hard to admit when you've made a mistake. In fact, research shows that when you're presented with evidence that your belief is wrong, you believe even more stubbornly that it's true. Another problem is that we often react to our environment based on emotion rather than reason, or on incomplete or inaccurate information. So we are basing our ideas and our actions on a mistaken view of the world. Our certainty is built on a foundation of sand. In fact, the illusion of certainty causes a lot of suffering in our lives. If we cling to a strong belief in a certain idea, we will inevitably be disappointed when it turns out to be wrong and reality hits us in the face. But Buddhism is, I think, unique among religious traditions in turning away from certainty and embracing uncertainty. In fact, it is based on the idea that everything is constantly changing and is therefore inherently uncertain. In Buddhism, we have the concept of non-self, that I do not have some unchanging, permanent essence or soul, that what I think of as a self is just a never-ending flow of feelings and observations and reactions that are constantly changing in response to what is going on around me. So the recognition of uncertainty is built into the Buddhist path, and we don't ask people to accept these ideas of constant change and of non-self as articles of faith that can't be challenged. In fact, we urge people to test these ideas against their own experiences and make up their own minds. In Buddhism, we see ambiguity and uncertainty not as enemies, but as teachers. Accepting the uncertainty of life, of our own beliefs, of our very nature, forces us to be humble, to admit that we don't have the answers, that our assumptions are often wrong, and that our judgments about what is, quote, good, unquote, and, quote, bad, unquote, are mistaken. That humility and that acceptance hopefully prepares us to roll with the punches, to see multiple sides to a question, and to look at ourselves and others with greater compassion and understanding. Namo Amida Butsu. Namo Amida Butsu. Namo Amida Butsu. Namanda Buts. Namanda Buts. Namanda Buts. Today's program was presented and produced by the Buddhist Education Center of Orange County Buddhist Church. This program is copyright 2022 by the Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, USA. All rights reserved.